0: Let's give those guys another good hand. Way to go, guys. Wow. So proud of you guys. Beautiful. Isn't that great? Welcome to Union Chapel, and we're so glad you're here. Welcome to Advent. As we begin the Christmas season, we anticipate the meaningful expression of God's love toward us in offering His Son. And so we are uh, here to celebrate that wonderful message in this beautiful season I uh, want to just give you a little announcement here before uh, we read our scripture this morning. As you know, here at Union Chapel, we, ha- we have one special offering each year. Now, you- there are churches that do multiple special kind of things through the year, but we just do one, and it's at Christmas. And traditionally, over the years, we have, and will again this year, support the Blood and Fire Christmas store, our good friends Bob, Bob and Stacy Ball downtown take the first $10,000 that we give them for this from this offering and they buy, go to various uh, vendors here in town at discounted rates and buy a whole store full of goods. And then qualifying families in the in the city come to the Christmas store and then purchase these items with pennies on the dollar. And then the receipts from the Christmas store are then sent to an orphanage to help support that. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. So the first $10,000 that we receive In this year's Christmas offering, we'll go to the Blood and Fire Christmas Store, and we feel so uh, good about that. Over the last several years, 300-plus families have been blessed with a Christmas each year through the Christmas Store at Blood and Fire, so we're very excited to be part of that support. The other aspect that we're going to support this year with our Christmas offering is our church planting initiatives. You've been around perhaps enough to know that planting new churches is the most strategic thing that people in North America and various parts of the world can be doing to offer the cause of Christ. And we are very excited about the plan that we have to plant 10 new churches in the next 10 years. We've already launched the first church, as you know, in Marietta, Ohio, about a month ago, very successfully. We're very excited about that. We're in touch with Paul and Tia Erminger all the time as they're ramping up to plant Golfside Church down in Cape Coral. Uh, In the fall of 2017, and etc. But it does take money to plant these churches, and so the other aspect of our Christmas offering this year is going to going to help our church planting fund. Now, here's the caveat: we have found a benefactor from another state, a very wealthy person who is very strategic-minded with regard to kingdom things, and he has agreed to help us with our church planting initiatives. This is his help. It's in the form of a matching grant. So what he, what he has told us is that any money that we raise within the church and outside of the church with other people who have a similar kind of vision and passion to see people come to Jesus through church planting, is that he is going to give us $700,000. $700,000 on a matching grant kind of incentive. So this Christmas... Every dollar that you give that comes in over and above the $10,000 we are going to give to Blood and Fire will be matched by this grant. And so every dollar you give will be $2. Remember uh, the little guy who brought a sack lunch to hear Jesus teach? He had five loaves and two fish. And there were 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus said, these guys are hungry, why don't you feed them? And the disciples said, we can't feed all these people, We we don't have enough food. And Jesus said, what do you have? And they scoured the crowd. They found a little sack lunch. We have five loaves and two fish. And, of course, the miracle of multiplication took place that day. Everyone ate. They had 12 baskets full left over, and it was a great miracle of multiplication. And this is, in part, a a miracle of multiplication, isn't it? Every dollar you give becomes $2. God is going to multiply it because of this uh, magnanimous uh, benefactor and... I believe God will bless it and multiply it beyond that. And so in a couple of weeks, we'll receive our Christmas offering. We'll receive uh, the Christmas offering during Christmas Eve and Christmas Day as well. But in two weeks is when we'll ask for that special offering. So you can be thinking and praying about what God might ask you to give. Now, I just remind you, that little guy with the sack lunch, he didn't have to go out of his way. He just gave what was in his hands and trusted God to multiply it. And as you pray, uh, God will give you uh, insight into that. So I'm looking forward to that, excited about it. I know you are as well. Well, today we want to talk about Christmas, and it's that season. And let me just say that cr- the Christmas season is wonderful. It is wonderful. I love the Christmas holiday. I hope that you do as well. It can easily get tainted and, and sour and, and heavy and... and And even dark for some some folks and I understand those circumstances but Christmas should be a great celebration it is indeed a great joy for all the people because a savior has been born and we want to talk about the wonder of Christmas this month and so today specifically the wonder of a star we've taken as our text today from Matthew's gospel chapter 2 I'm going to read the first 12 verses there from Matthew 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project these words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you are able, thank you for standing. This is the visit of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. May God inspire us today through this powerful story. You may be seated. Thanks so much. You know, we can learn a lot about God by just looking at the created world around us, the created order. And one of the things that we can learn is the immensity of God's greatness. I mean, you just look at the universe. I mean, it's a big place, and God is big. Uh, we, we live on a tiny little planet in our solar system with a very uh, medium-sized sun star. But within our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, there are about 300 billion stars like our sun. It's an amazing thing. And not only can we learn about the immensity of God when we look at the created order, but we we can also understand God's mind and how powerful it is when we think about the order and the beauty of the created universe. And what about our own consciences? We have a conscience. We have an innate ability to know right from wrong. And that implies that God is a moral God. So all these ways we can understand God. But, but one thing about God that we can understand just by observing the creation is how much he loves us. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Christmas is for. Because it reminds us that God is passionately and unconditionally in love with us. He sent his own son into the world. Uh, As a person, as as a human being, put on an earth suit, the incarnation is about in flesh that God has come to reveal himself to us. And it's because you matter to God that he came. It's because we matter to God. That's why he came. And so it's very, very encouraging. It's a window into understanding how much God loves us. No one would have imagined that God would would condescend this way. But as a man, Jesus actually wept at the graveside of his friend Lazarus. That actually stopped along the road when a blind man called out for help. And he helped him, blind Bartimaeus. And when, when Jesus reached up and touched a leper and healed him, the leper said, I know you can heal me if you will. And in all these ways all the way down to the, to the notion that, that God would take our pain and take our grief and experience that, take our shame and the burden of our sins upon himself. It's an astonishing thing. King David asked the question in the Psalms, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Indeed, why would God even think about us? And yet God has come to us to reveal himself to us as an expression of his love. It really is a wonderful, a wonderful thing. So, to, so today in the next several weeks we want to talk about the wonder of Christmas. And today about the wonder of a star. This visit of the Magi and what we might learn about the wonder of Christmas. I like the word curious. Don't you? Curiosity. I think we should be curious about these things and what we might learn from God's word about the wonderment of Christmas. Well on your outline you'll see a th- few points. The first one is this. Something that we learn from the from the Magi is that we need eyes to see. The eyes to see. Now, we don't know a lot about the Magi, but we do know they play an important role in the nativity of Christ. We know that they've come from the east. The Bible describes that probably from ancient Persia, Babylon. We know that that the Greek word for Magi is magos, which is interpreted as a scholarly priest. So these guys are probably highly educated and culturally sophisticated we know that about them we know that they're wealthy they come in this large caravan the gifts they bring are very expensive and so their positions they have high status they're very they're very well educated these are sophisticated men and so we ask the question then why did they do this they've got everything the world has to offer right They've got power, they've got money, they've got status, they've got everything the world has to offer. So why would they make this arduous journey over hundreds of miles on the back of a camel to try to find this newborn king? What's going on with these guys? I want to submit to you that the reason they are wise men is because they know that the things that can be acquired in the world, things of the earth, are not enough to satisfy the longings of a human person. They were in touch with the need to have more, not more of the same, but something different, something otherly that could meet the deepest longings of their own heart and own soul and give them the peace that they long for. These men are wise. And so what we learn from them is that unlike most Most people in the world who believe that if they just had more of everything the world has to offer, that would make them happy, you know, more stuff, more wealth, more success, more recognition, more pleasure, more of everything, and I'll be happy, they realized that they needed something different in order to satisfy their own longing. The psalmist wrote, uh, you can see this on the screen, Psalm 42.7, this is David, he said it this way, deep calls to deep. Deep calls to deep. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? At some time in our lives, we all feel it, something deep within us telling us that it's impossible for us to be satisfied with things of the earth, and so we long for something more, something else, something different. Many people lose that yearning along the way. They learn that, they lose that desire to seek after God, seek something more. You know, Life happens, they get busy. They have to pay the bills, they have to raise the kids, a million other things, and they kind of lose it. But then Christmas comes. Christmas comes and you begin to get that feeling again, that feeling of wonderment. You, You think about the Christmas story and you imagine this little child being born in this lowliest of situations. Here's a baby in a manger and it occurs to you that... Maybe in the routine and the mundane and the averageness and the commonness of your own life that God might actually condescend into your world and make a difference in your life. I mean, if he would stoop down and show up in a place like Bethlehem in the middle of nowhere, in this lowly manger, maybe God might even stoop down into my mundane life, make a difference for me. And hope comes up. And a sense of wonderment begins to percolate in our mind and heart. Let me put this statement on the screen just to make the point as strong as I can. The wise men were wise because they did not allow their souls to be anesthetized by possessions and success. They knew that there was something more. So they show up. They show up in Jerusalem. They've been following the star and they show up and King Herod is there. and, And so he... He hears them just very forthrightly. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. We've come to worship him. You stop and think, well, wait a minute. Anyone, everyone, if they just looked up, they could have seen the star. Have you noticed the star? It's like Herod and the priests and all of Jerusalem are oblivious to this cosmic phenomenon. But wise men come into town, they say, hey, have you noticed a star in here? Said, There's a star? How, how did you miss that? What were you doing? And scholars are still debating on what it could have been. It could have been a, a nova, a newborn star that was burning exceedingly bright for a period of time, or it could have been a comet that it may come around again, we notice, or the conjunction of a couple of planets, maybe Saturn and Jupiter that made it look like one big star. Nevertheless, even if science comes to some conclusion about what the phenomenon was, they won't be any closer to understanding what it meant unless they follow the wise men in their comprehension of what it meant because they knew that it, it was a sign to point them to Messiah. Comedian uh, Bill Ingvall... Some of you know him. He's one of the blue-collar comedy guys, Bill Engle, and he famously uses this line, here's your sign. (laughs) When I say that, now you're recollecting. And and he uh, brilliantly tells stories either about himself or other people, and as the story goes, uh, you very quickly realize this isn't going to end well for this person because it's going to it's going to be painful for them or embarrassing to them or even shameful for them and but he keeps telling the story and the farther he goes the you know the more trouble you sense is going to happen to this person in the story until he gets to the punchline and then he tells you what happens the consequence of this foolish behavior and we all laugh because it's really easy for humans to laugh at other people's foolishness now when it's our own foolishness it's not as easy to laugh but when someone else messes up, it's pretty easy. And so, so he gives the punchline, and, and everybody laughs, and then, he go, and then he goes to summarize, here's your sign. Like, couldn't you see that coming? I mean, wasn't that obvious? I mean, how did you miss that? Like, duh, here's your sign. And yet, God is giving us signs all the time. He's giving us signs... Constantly. For example, those of us who follow Jesus, we want to be good, we want to be virtuous, we want to be noble, we want to have the characteristics of Jesus. We want to be loving and joyful and and patient, and we, we want to be unselfish and we want to be gracious, we want to be generous, and yet we're not. And it's frustrating, isn't it? But it's a sign to us, it's an opportunity for us. And what is the sign? in the midst of that struggle. It just means that we're made in the image of God and we have a desire to be like God, but we're flawed. And, and we, we're weak, we make mistakes. And the sign is that we need someone beyond ourselves to help us to become like God. We need God's help. It's a sign pointing us to God. You know, if you're a parent or if you're not a parent, if you've held a newborn in your arms, your hands, and I can tell you this has happened to everyone in this room. If it was your baby, that newborn, and you held that baby for the first time, and its little heart was beating right next to your heart. And someone, someone would have said to you, you know, human life, you know, really, it's meaningless. It's just an accident. There's really nothing to it. You know what you would have said about that? That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That's crazy. That's insane. Because there's a, this is a sign. You hold this baby and it says that there is life that is meaningful and is purposeful and is something larger than itself. There's, there's meaning behind the significance of this. We, we hold this baby and we understand the biology. We know how the baby got here and we understand there's genetics involved. But there's something else going on when you hold a baby. And it's a sign a sign that points us us to God. Sometimes it's simply looking at a sunset or a mountain vista or, or listening to great music and something happens, you feel something and it takes you into a deep place and a profound place and you begin to think and feel things that you know are connected to something that's bigger than we are. There's got to be another dimension to life that is beyond what the earth can provide for us. And it touches us deeply. And it's a sign. It's a sign from God, pointing us to God. Here's your sign. Sometimes it's tragedy or suffering that God uses. And you wonder if you're going to make it. And it gets really, really dark and you begin to lose hope. And then someone will come along and someone will take your hand or someone will offer a kind word or someone will mention that God is involved and that they're praying for you and they have your best wishes in mind and, and it gets you through it and you make it and you pop through the other end and you realize, you know, maybe, there's, maybe there is something more. Maybe there is something else. Maybe there, there is meaning in life and it's a sign. It's a sign to you, pointing you to God and your need for God. This will happen to us at Christmas. Christmas. Happen during the Christmas offering. It'll happen with, when you're with family and friends and gifts are being distributed. And you'll open a gift and it may be a gift that's very meaningful to you and, and you're happy about it and you feel the joy from receiving that gift. But something else happens when you give a gift. And when you see people receiving a gift that you've given, you note that there's more joy in it than the receiving. And there's a reason for that because God's already told us it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so we feel the joy of giving and we realize this is a sign from God that there is a God in the universe who has given to us and shared with, with us and in such a generous way. And as we reflect that generosity, it's meaningful and pleasurable and a great blessing. It's a sign. It's a sign that points us to God. You know, there are signs everywhere. They're all around us. And what distinguishes the wise from the foolish is the, the ability to recognize these signs for what they are. They're indications that point us, point us to God. So you have to have eyes to see. Eyes to see what God is doing ha- from his perspective. Now here's the second thing. It's on your outline. It's this. Not only do you need eyes to see, and the wise men give us this perspective, you need the courage to follow. You need the word courage. Everyone say courage. It takes courage... To follow Jesus. It does. Here's the most amazing thing about this story. This is just utterly astonishing about this story. These wise men blow into town, they announced forthrightly that a king has been born, and, and then they find out from the priest that Bethlehem is the location of the birth of Messiah. So people are aware of it. They know what's going on. It's not like Herod said, you know, you got it wrong. No, there's no prophecy. You're mistaken. That star means nothing. You know, it's not a sign. That's not what Herod said. The Bible says that he was troubled with all Jerusalem with him. Here's the most fascinating, amazing part of the story. When the wise men went to Bethlehem, no one went with them. Think about that. Why didn't anyone go with them? They were beginning to see the potential of what was happening. Oh, yeah, there is a star. Oh, yeah, the prophecy is clear. Oh, yeah, maybe there is something up. But nobody went. Why? Why didn't they go? Well, let's speculate. We don't know why. Let's just make something up. Let's just speculate. Maybe they were too busy. Yeah, that's it. They're too busy. They're too busy. They've got full schedules. They, you know, they're they he's a king. He's got a full he's got a full docket. These are priests. They've got a schedule. They just don't have time. Can't fit it in. And while we while we hear that, and we go, well, that's ridiculous. That's you know, that's humorous. But wait, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? Look, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to really think about spiritual things. My schedule's too full, to really, to get involved in any kind of personal devotion and really seeking God in any kind of regular, daily way. I, I'm just—I'm really, you know—there's so many pressure points on my life right now, and my schedule. I, maybe if I'm when I'm older, I'll have more time, or, or when my situation changes, I'll, I'll get an opportunity. Maybe then I could, you know, maybe pray a little bit more. Or, but you know, the Lord knows, I—I I don't have time to be in a small group. I mean. I, those sort of that's out of the question. Too busy? Just too busy. Let me put this uh, statement on the screen for you. Often we allow busyness with matters that are temporal keep us from seeking the eternal. Hmm. Is that possible? Nod your head. Come on, we're all guilty of that one. Yeah, I don't think they were too busy is the is the reason. That's not the reason they didn't go. Let me tell you what I think it was. I think they were afraid. I think they were afraid. I think that they knew that if there was any shred of truth to this possibility that a new king, the Messiah, had been born, that it would change the way they believe. It would change their priorities. It would change their entire lives. And they knew it. And so they distanced themselves out of fear because they knew that if a king was born, it was going to alter everything. Everything would be different. Everything would have to change. So instead, Herod and the priests and everyone else, they just continued to do what they'd been doing, living the way they'd been living, being who they'd always been. And we do the same thing. Think about it. When we're angry, look, we like to be angry. Something made us angry, and some of us actually enjoy the energy that anger gives us. And so anger is a good thing. And so when we're angry, do we go to Jesus well, we know that if we go to Jesus being angry, that he, the first thing he's going to do is, say, what are you so angry about? <laughs> Let's get rid of that anger or deal with the source of your anger. And so we just distance ourselves from Jesus because we want to keep our anger. And sometimes it's selfishness or pride. And we like the way we like it. And we prefer making our own choices and doing selfish things. And so we ask, would you like to go see Jesus? And we know, well, I don't As a selfish person, I don't want to get close to Jesus. I mean, if I get close to Jesus, I know what he's going to do. He's going to ask me not to be so selfish. Who needs that? And sometimes we're filled with self-pity, and we position ourselves as victims in life. And there are people in the room like this. And you live your life assuming that everything's piled up against you. And so self-pity is a party that you regularly throw. And so the question is asked, do you want to get close to Jesus? And you're hesitant to do that because you've learned how to live with your self-pity and as a victim in the world, and you've gotten comfortable with that. And you know in order to deal with the hurt and the wound that caused your self-pity to begin with is going to be really painful and a difficult process. And so you know, sure as well, that if I get close to Jesus, he's going to say, hey, how about we deal with that hurt in your life? And you go, I don't think so. And so we stay our distance. And sometimes it's our unfaithfulness that keeps us from Jesus because we know. it's Even the things we know are right to do and we don't do them, it's a lot easier to be unfaithful than it is to have integrity. It just is. just easier. Living with integrity is hard takes a lot of courage and so you ask the question you want to go see Jesus and you say well I don't think so because you know the first thing he's going to do is say you know it's better to have integrity than to be unfaithful (laughs) and on and on this list of things goes and ultimately it's about this kingship thing it's about this lordship deal it's about it's about King Herod you know he's on display and he's thinking this through he said okay I can go with the wise men down to Bethlehem and see if there's another king Hey, wait a minute I'm the king. I'm the king around here. There's only room in this country for one king. And I'm, and I'm it. So no, not going down there because there may be another king. And that's the same process that all of us have to go through on a regular basis. if We want to follow Jesus because there's all kinds of temptation for us to assume responsibility for all of our lives, to sit on the throne of our own heart, to be the boss of our own affairs. And that's and the that's way we like it sometimes. But we, re- we stay away from Jesus because we know darn good and well that if we go talk to Jesus, he's going to want to get on the throne of my life. He's going to want to be Lord. He's going to want to be boss. And I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure I can handle that. And so we vacillate and we hold back we ask ourselves the question, if all I have left is Jesus, is he going to be enough? If, is his grace going to be sufficient enough in my life if I allow him to be Lord of my life? Let me, let me just remind you something, friends. Jesus didn't come to be a cuddly little baby. He, did, he didn't come to the earth to be a, an adorable little toddler. You know, oh, look at him. He's taking his first steps. Isn't he cute? That's not why he came. Jesus came to become Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Jesus came to be the sovereign. Jesus came to take over. Jesus came to take control. Jesus came to rule and to reign. And all of us have to come to terms with the notion that Jesus is Lord. And we can either acknowledge that to be true in our own life or we can reject that truth. It doesn't change who he is. See, here's all I'm saying. It takes courage to follow Jesus. If you're not willing to lean into all of the things that keep you different from Jesus, that he'll challenge you about in his lordship, you need courage for that. So we all need the courage to follow. Everyone say courage. Yeah. Now that, le- that brings us to this last idea, and that is the humility to worship. Write down the word humility. Coming in for a landing now. Matthew chapter two verse eleven. Look at it on the screen. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now remember who these guys are. They are high status guys, rich, powerful, influential. These are high capacity guys, well educated, culturally sophisticated. These are these are top top upper crust kind of guys. They're all they're all connected. They come to Bethlehem, which is a no-name, barely a spot in the road. They're in occupied territory. These lowly Jews are completely, completely impoverished. They they live day day to day, hand to mouth. They've got nothing. And he now they find this little family huddled down in the house. This is sometime after the birth. And here's this Joseph, he's not gainfully employed. And Mary, who knows what her story is, and this baby. And what do they do? What do these guys do? The first thing they do, they see the baby and they bow down. See, they are as high and lofty as you can go in earthly standards. And, and the baby is as low as you can get on the planet. And, and what happens? What happens? They get there and they bow down. And worship him now why why would they do that what's going on with these guys what can we learn from them well here's what we know they have eyes to see they see this is not just a lowly baby baby in the middle of nowhere this is the something more that they're looking for this is the someone else that they long for and that they need to be fulfilled as a person. They get perspective, they have eyes to see, and now they, they are exercising courage because they are, they are now lowering themselves, recognizing that he is the creator, they are the creation. He is the immortal one, they are mortality. He has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. They are merely men of the earth. They have perspective on who this baby is. And they bow down and worship him. Now note, this baby, he's got no subjects. He's got no followers. He hasn't performed any miracles. He doesn't have an army. He hasn't made any prophetic statements that will affect the world. He's just a baby. He's just a baby. So these guys aren't bowing down to worship what this baby has done. And this is helpful perspective. They're bowing down to worship him for who he is. And that's exactly what motivates our worship. Not because of all the blessings and benefits that come to us in knowing God, but simply because of who he is. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. He is almighty God who has characterized himself in loving ways toward us. And so we worship him. We worship him. And we do it with humility. As it turns out, friends, um, What we need in life is not something, it's someone, and his name is Jesus. The someone you're looking for is Jesus. One more verse, John 1, verses 11 and 12, check it out. This is the prologue of John's gospel. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. This is really sad language and really glorious because it's sad because the people Jesus came to, he was rejected by. Most people, even today, when Jesus comes, are rejected. So many, so many, so many, so many continue to reject Jesus in our time. It's very sad. But it's also glorious because what this... Scripture teaches us is that if we receive him, we have eyes to see who he is, and we have the courage enough to follow and the humility to worship him. If we can get to that place, as many as receive him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. And this is our hope, isn't it? This is our hope. Glad tidings of a great joy, the angel said. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so God has made a sufficient way for us to be reconciled with himself. And we have this hope because of this wonderful gift. It's a glorious message. It's a glorious hope. It's a glorious savior. Maybe we should stop and think about this for a minute as we pray. Would you bow with me? Like the wondrous star that guided the wise men to the Christ child... You know it's true, friends. You know it's true. God has placed signs along your path, all of them meant to lead you to God. Here's my question for you today. Are you ready to receive? Whether for you it's the first time or maybe in a deeper and more meaningful way, receive the one who can give you peace, the one who offers himself in Jesus if you're in a place today where you're ready, ready to reach out to this someone, not just something else, something more, but someone, his name is Jesus, if so, then you can humble your heart and you can pray and God will hear you. Now I'm gonna say the words for you. I'll say the words and you believe them, pray them in your heart. God will hear you. Hear the words. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Give me eyes to see. Take your rightful place on the throne of my life and give me courage to follow. So I worship you as my Savior and Lord. Now give me the humility to worship. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. All right, would you stand with us as we sing?
1: Glory breaking through the dark and here our words collide divinity and men confined this great design drawn.
0: just a reminder there's an after party right across in the welcome center if you're new relatively new i'd love to meet you just two minutes won't take much time at all hope to see you there here's the blessing may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you may the lord lift up his countenance upon you give you his peace be at peace friends both now and forever amen have a great day